Growing up in a household where my siblings were American, my parents, Jamaican, and me being Canadian, it led to a lot of very interesting dynamics. You know, growing up, I was never quite Jamaican enough to do anything that involved touching my siblings' clothes, video games, toys. My parents, you know, they would always tell me about their Jamaican heritage and be so proud of it and made me so proud of it. And going to school and sharing things about my Jamaican heritage were so interesting. But I ran into a couple of very distinct situations that I would say kind of enlightened me that I was more than just Jamaican. You see, I was black. And when I was younger, I didn't understand it. But every year I was kind of, I guess, had to confront this, this black thing that I was. You know, I remember, you know, going to America and like just asking, you know, other people. I'm like, hey, uh, what's your background? You know, I asked all my classmates. They say Irish. They'd say, you know, I'm from Scotland. They say I'm from China or Tokyo. They, they would let me know their background. But when I'd ask a black American, they would just say black in my young mind i didn't understand this i was expecting like you know i'm from trinidad you know i'm from nigeria but they just said black and that just blew my mind and then when i started to get older and older the weird thing really started happening where my i would identify more with being black than I was Jamaican. And this played out in a couple of weird different ways. Um, you know, it's funny because in school or in work, you know, people will talk about their heritage and talk about the funny things about their heritage, you know, like someone to be from Turkey or someone to be from, you know, Scotland and say, you know, talk about just, you know, heritages in their, you know, Scotland background. And me, being from Jamaica, I would share things that were cool about mine. But one of the things that I started to realize is that there is a big difference between being Jamaican and Black. And it just really started to create this like dichotomy in my mind. Very fascinating, if you will. Uh, one of the big things is that you know you can free and open and talk about being Jamaican in a workplace environment or school place environment. But once you start talking about being black, well, that's that's a different thing. And to really explain it, it's the differences between, you know, your heritage and your political views, because the identity of being black is very political. It is like so political. It's like. Saying you're black in a workplace is the equivalent to saying that you're a Republican or a Trump supporter or you're a liberal or you're a Democrat. You're basically saying a political statement and like politics and religion can make some people uncomfortable. Saying you're black can make people very uncomfortable. It is a very interesting dichotomy to kind of go around. So when I started realizing that I wasn't not only Jamaican, but I was black, I started to realize how important culture was and that the experience of being a black American 
is a whole different experience. For example, if you're in a workplace and you're just talking French to another colleague and other people overhear it, there is nothing that happens. However, if you're a black American and you're just talking to a black American with like slang that you guys would use or, you know, just dialect from your neighborhoods, people are going to freak out. (laughs) You know, you can talk about your French culture growing up, you know, but, you know, talking about black culture in a workplace or a school environment may be seen as unprofessional. You know, there's a bunch of different things or different areas where you have to know, as they call it, code switching to know that your background is known to be political. And it's not just a background, it's an actual political position, which, again, makes very uncomfortable situations. So knowing this, going into the corporate world for a young black person, you kind of start to learn it growing up and... You know, learning more about my, you know, my black heritage, you know, not only my Jamaican, but my black heritage, it really, you know, helps me put in perspective kind of the systematic and economic, you know, drivers of the economy. Because, again, being black is such a political thing. You really have to understand so many different drivers that kind of encompass the black experience. And then one of the things that, you know got me so curious is starting to learn about other minority groups and how they came up. You know, recently, you know, I started diving a little bit in China in my one video um, that I did. Uh, (laughs) And I barely know nothing about China. And another one that I just ended up encountering was Aboriginals. Now, you know, I live in Canada and, you know, Aboriginals in Canada, of course, have had a hard time like they have in America. But I, I think one of the most interesting and fascinating things that I, I grew up and I, I learned about was I was so curious about, you know, the incarceration rates in the United States and how, like, I don't know, I think black people are like, uh, I'm, I'm just spitballing off the top of my mind. Black people represent like 10% of the jail population in the States, but like 30%, sorry, 10% of the population, but like 30% of the jail population. Actually, let me look at that. <laughs> After looking it up, uh, I was exactly right, which is pretty funny. Uh, you know, black people represent 12% of the U.S. population, but 33% of the sentence pop- population. And I wanted to see, you know, Canada is known as, you know, pretty, I guess, supposed to be the all-inclusive, you know, country. So I'm like, I'm curious, what is the black representation in jail when it comes to black people in Canada? And it is 3% of the population is black in Canada, and they represent 10% of the jail population. So they're very overrepresented. Um, Very interesting. And, you know, me researching other minority groups, I saw one stat and it just shocked me out of it just shocked me so much. Um, And that was about aboriginals. Aboriginals represent, I think it was 2% of the population in Canada, but they represent 26% of the federal inmates in Canada. And if you're a woman, it's like they represent like 35% of the women inmates. Now, these numbers are absolutely ridiculously shocking. Like 
to my core shocking. And like, you know, I started really researching about some of the systematic, you know, I guess discriminations against, you know, aboriginals, you know, whether that's, you know, residency schools and after the removal of residency schools, now it's, um, you know, just these youth detention centers. And there's just like so many things. I'm just like, this is crazy. And I was thinking to myself, you know, how did I just not know about this? How are Aboriginal issues not known on a national crisis level in Canada the way that Black issues are really kind of at the prevalence of media almost in America now? And I realized it came down to one thing and one word only. That has to be the N-word. And I real like, this was one of those weird things where it's like, you know, my whole life, you know, people, black and white, have been against using the N-word and just the discriminatory power of it. You know, of course, it comes from racial oppression and slavery. But what I realized that was so, I guess, powerful about... You know, this word being used in all the popular media nowadays, whether that's movies, whether that's how prevalent it is in hip hop and pop music. Um, what the N word represents is a constant reminder of the history of systematic oppression and the current oppression that is systematically happening to black people in the States. And because it's so prevalent in popular media, it is so crazy. It's like every single time, you know, a white public figure or any public figure uses the N-word. Constantly, we are brought back to the fact and they are confronted by an angry Twitter mob or an angry Facebook mob about the historic discrimination and current discrimination of black people. You see, the N-word and its popularity, you know, its rhythmic floats used in, you know, all current hip-hop songs, uh, its prevalence. Because of it, I, I realize that it forces the discussion and it forces the rights of black people to be taken seriously and at least put them in a conversation where I realize that aboriginals just don't have that media representation they don't have any word or any sort of medium to really get their message out one of the most powerful things i've seen was i saw a movie on um residency schools and the atrocities that happen in these schools you know uh residency schools from what i've seen in the movie i wish i knew it offhand but essentially like they used to rip um you know aboriginal children away from their you know parents and basically try to convert aboriginals to christians it's like a re-education center and it was scary because all these little girls and boys were being basically raised and groomed by nuns and priests and anytime you have priests and little boys in the same sentence or the same place with unsupervised adults you can only imagine the horrors that probably went down in these residency schools across Canada. And it was only abolished in like the 90s or something like that, which is crazy recent. Like th this is this systematic discrimination that's crazy recent. 
So now, kind of like seeing that in media, it gave me a whole new appreciation and understanding of what Aboriginals are going through to this day and the First Nations in Canada are going through to this day. And it inspired me to research more about Aboriginals. And that was only one piece of medium on Aboriginals that I actually seen. So what I'm basically getting to is Aboriginal people need to start saying the N-word. They need to just live fly. They need to start saying some sort of word <laughs> to really, you know, obviously, you know, like I'm, I'm being kind of, you know, being kind of, I guess, I don't even know the word, but there's some truth in what I'm saying. Like, like if Aboriginals had an N-word, man, we could not let these stats just fly by because we'd be constantly reminded of the injustices that are happening in the Aboriginal community. Like, does this number even make any sense? 2% of the population of Canada is Aboriginal and 26% of federal inmates are Aboriginal. Clearly, there's a systematic systemic pipeline that tries these kids in Aboriginal communities and puts them and feeds them straight to the judicial system. Uh, one of the big things that I, that I came across, which I thought was just hilarious now thinking about, is the way how harsher punishments are determined. You know, um, one of the big things is the fact that, you know, a lot of times... If, and this is like proven in studies, if a judge sees that you have family members and supporting friends that come to your trials when you're on trial, then they are more likely to give you a lighter sentence because they see you have a strong support group. However, if you don't have, you know, a parent consistently going to child or you don't have friends consistently go to child then the judge is more likely to give you a harsher sentence because they say, oh, you have no support group. You're more likely to do the crime. Therefore, you deserve a harsher sentence. But look how backwards that is. That doesn't even make any sense. It's like the person that has the less support group. Clearly, there's economic and systematic factors, such as their family being destroyed through whatever reasons that are causing them to lead to bad choices. Clearly, they need other solutions rather than jail. But for some reason, jail is the main solution that we give people from these broken families. It's crazy. Anyways, guys, I want to know what you guys think. Uh, you know, make sure to leave that five-star review on iTunes. Let me know what you think. And of course, I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, and at Fly Stewie. And the best, most brightest investors are the uneducated ones. Why is that? That is because the uneducated investor, they never stop learning. Uh, really, this, this, this whole Aboriginal thing just fascinated me which is why when I see someone who's Aboriginal, I'm going to give them a tight daps and say, what up, my ninja? The Uneducated Investor Podcast.